Geheimnis nackt by William King Curse all manling kite drovers and all manling women, muttered Gotrek Gurnison, adding a curse into Warvish. You did have to insult the Lady Isolde, didn't you? said Felix Jaeger peevishly. As things are, we're lucky they didn't just shoot us. If you can call it lucky to be dumped in the Reichwald on Geheimnis Nacht Eve. We paid for our passage. We were just as entitled to sit inside as her. The drivers were unmanly cowards, said Gotrek. They refused to meet me hand to hand. I would not have minded being spitted by steel, but being blasted with buckshot is no death for a troll slayer. Felix shook his head. He could see that one of his companion's black moods was coming on. There would be no arguing with him. Felix had other things to worry about. The sun was setting, giving the mist-covered forest a ruddy hue. Long shadows danced eerily, and brought to mind too many frightening tales of the horrors to be found under the canopy of trees. He wiped his nose with the edge of his cloak, then pulled the Sudanland wool tight about him. He sniffed and looked at the sky, where Morslieb and Manslieb, the lesser and greater moons, were already visible. Morslieb seemed to be giving off a faint greenish glow. It wasn't a good sign. I think I have a fever coming on, said Felix. The troll-slayer looked up at him and chuckled contemptuously. In the last rays of the dying sun, his nose-chain was a bloody arc running from nostril to earlobe. "'Yours is a weak race,' said Gotrek. "'The only fever I feel this eve is the battle fever. It sings in my head.' He turned and glared out into the darkness of the woods. "'Come out, little beast-men,' he bellowed. I'll have a gift for you. He laughed loudly, and ran his thumb along the edge of the blade of his great two-handed axe. Felix saw that it drew blood. Gotrek began to suck his thumb. Sigma, preserve us. Be quiet. Who knows what lurks there on a night like this? Gotrek glared at him. Felix could see the glint of insane violence appear in his eyes. Instinctively, Felix's hand strayed nearer to the pommel of his sword. Give me no orders, Manling. I am of the Elder Rice, and am beholden only to the kings under the mountains, exile though I may be. Felix bowed formally. He was well schooled in the use of the sword. The scars on his face showed that he had fought several duels in his student days. He had once killed a man, and so ended a promising academic career. Still, he did not relish the thought of fighting the Trollslayer. The tip of Gotrek's crested hair came only to the level of Felix's chest, but the dwarf outweighed him, and his bulk was all muscle. Felix had seen Gotrek use the axe. The dwarf took the bow as an apology, and turned once more to the darkness. Come out, he shouted. I care not if all the powers of evil walk the woods this night, or will face any challenger. The dwarf was working himself up to a pitch of fury. During the time of their acquaintance, Felix had noticed that the Troll Slayer's long periods of brooding were often followed by brief explosions of rage. It was one of the things about his companion that fascinated Felix. He knew that Gotrek had become a Troll Slayer to atone for some crime. He was sworn to seek death in unequal combat with fearsome monsters. He seemed bitter to the point of madness. And yet, he kept to his oath. Perhaps, thought Felix, I too would go mad if I had been driven into exile among strangers, not even of my own race. He felt some sympathy for the crazed dwarf, 
Felix knew what it was like to be driven from home under a cloud. The duel with Wolfgang Krasner had caused quite a scandal. At that moment, however, the dwarf seemed bent on getting them both killed, and he wanted no part of it. Felix continued to plod along the road, casting an occasional worried glance at the bright full moons. Behind him the ranting continued, Are there no warriors among you? Come feel my axe. She thirsts. Only a madman would so tempt fate and the dark powers on Geheimnisnacht, night of mystery in the dark reaches of the forest, Felix decided. He could make out chanting in the flinty, guttural tongue of the mountain dwarves. Then once more in Reichspiel, he heard, Send me a champion! For a second there was silence. Condensation from the clammy mist ran down his brow. Far, far off the sound of galloping horses rang out in the quiet night. What has that maniac done? Felix thought. Has he offended one of the old powers? Have they sent their demon riders to carry us off? Felix stepped off the road. He shuddered as wet leaves fondled his face. They felt like dead men's fingers. The thunder of hooves came closer, moving with hellish speed along the forest road. Surely only a supernatural being could keep such breakneck pace on the winding forest road. He felt his hand shake as he unsheathed his sword. I was foolish to follow Gotrek, he thought. Now I'll never get the poem finished. He could hear the loud neighing of horses, the crack of a whip, and mighty wheels turning. Good, Gotrek roared. His voice drifted from the trail behind. Good! There was a loud bellowing and four huge black horses drawing a black coach hurtled past. Felix saw the wheels bounce as they hit a rut in the road. He could just make out a black cloaked driver. He shrank back into the bushes. He heard the sound of feet coming closer. The bushes were pulled aside. Before him stood Gotrek, looking madder and wilder than ever. His crest was matted, Brown mud was smeared over his tattooed body, and his studded leather jerkin was ripped and torn. The snotling fondlers tried to run me over, he yelled. Let's get after them. He turned and headed up the muddy road at a fast trot. Felix noted that Gotrek was singing happily in Kazalid. Further down the Bogenhofen road, they found the Standing Stones Inn. The windows were shuttered and no light showed. They could hear a neighing from the stables, but when they checked, there was no coach, black or otherwise, only some skittish ponies and a peddler's cart. We've lost the coach. Might as well get a bed for the night, said Felix. He looked warily at the small moon, Morslieb. The sickly green glow was stronger. I do not like being abroad under this evil light. You are feeble, manling. Cowardly, too. They'll have ale. On the other hand, uh, some of your suggestions are not without merit. Watery, though human beer is, of course. Of course, said Felix. Gotrek failed to spot the note of irony in his voice. The inn was not fortified but the walls were thick, and when they tried the door they found it was barred. Gotrek began to bang it with the butt of his axe shaft. There was no response. Or can smell humans within, said Gotrek. Felix wondered how he could smell anything over his own stench. Gotrek never washed, and his hair was matted with animal fat to keep his red-dyed crest in place. They'll have locked themselves in. Nobody goes abroad on Geheimnisnacht, unless they're witches or demon lovers. The black couch was abroad, said Gotrek. Its occupants were up to no good. The windows were curtained and the coach bore no crest of arms. 
My throat is too dry to discuss such details. Come on, open up in there, or I'll take my axe to the door. Felix thought he heard movement within. He pressed an ear to the door. He could make out the mutter of voices and what sounded like weeping. Unless you want me to chop through your head, Manling, I suggest you stand aside. Just a moment. I say, you inside. Open up. My friend has a very large axe and a very short temper. I suggest you do as he says, or lose your door. What was that about short? said Gotrek touchily. From behind the door came a thin, quavery cry. In the name of Sigmar, be gone, you demons of the pit! Right, that's it, said Gotrek. I've had enough. He drew his axe back in a huge arc. Felix saw the runes of its blade gleam in the moor-sleeve light. He leapt aside. In the name of Sigmar, shouted Felix, you cannot exercise us, we are simple, weary travellers. The axe bit into the door with a chunking sound. Splinters of wood flew from it. Gotrek turned to Felix and grinned evilly up at him. Felix noted the missing teeth. Shoddily made, these manling doors, said Gotrek. I suggest you open up while you still have a door, called Felix. Wait, said the quavering voice. That door cost me five crowns from Jurgen the carpenter. The door was unlatched. It opened. A tall, thin man with a sad face, framed by white hair, stood there. He had a stout club in one hand. Behind him stood an old woman who held a saucer that contained a guttering candle. You will not need your weapon, sir. We require only a bed for the night, said Felix. And ale, grunted the dwarf. And ale, agreed Felix. Lots of ale, said Gotrek. Felix looked at the old man and shrugged helplessly. Inside, the inn had a low common room. The bar was made of planks stretched across two barrels. From the corner, three armed men, who looked like travelling peddlers, watched them warily. They had daggers drawn. The shadows hid their faces, but they seemed worried. The innkeeper hustled them inside and slid the bars back into place. "'Can you pay, Herr Doctor?' he asked nervously. Felix could see the man's Adam's apple moving. "'I am not a professor. I am a poet,' he said, producing his thin pouch and counting out his few remaining gold coins. "'But I can pay.' "'Food,' said Gotrek. "'And ale.' At this, the old woman burst into tears. Felix stared at her. The hag is discomfited, said Gotrek. The old man nodded. Our gunter is missing on this of all nights. Get me some ale, said Gotrek. The innkeeper backed off. Gotrek got up and stumped over to where the peddlers were sitting. They regarded him warily. Do any of you know about a black couch? Drawn by four black horses, Gotrek asked. You have seen the black coach, asked one of the peddlers. The fear was evident in his voice. Seen it? The bloody thing nearly ran me over, a man gasped. Felix heard the sound of a ladle being dropped. He saw the innkeeper stoop to pick it up and begin refilling the tankard. You are lucky then, said the fattest and most prosperous looking peddler. Some say the coach is driven by demons. I have heard it passes here on Geheimnis Nacht every year. Some say it carries wee children from Altdorf who are sacrificed at the Dark Stone Ring. Gotrek looked at him interestedly. Felix did not like the way this was developing. Surely this is only legend, he said. No, sir. The innkeeper shouted, Every year we hear the thunder of its passing. Two years ago, Gunter looked out and saw it. A black coach, just as you describe. At the mention of Gunter's name, the old woman began crying again. The innkeeper brought stew and two great steins of ale. Bring beer for my companion too, said Gotrek. 
the landlord went off for another stein. "'Who is Gunter?' asked Felix when he returned. There was a wail from the old woman. "'More ale,' said Gotrek. The landlord looked astonished at the empty flagons. "'Take mine,' said Felix. "'Now, mine host. Who is Gunter?' "'And why does the hag howl at the very mention of his name?' asked Gotrek, wiping his mouth on his mud-encrusted arm. "'Gunter is our son. He went out to chop wood this afternoon. He has not returned.' "'Gunter is a good boy,' said the old woman. "'How will we survive without him?' "'Perhaps he is simply lost in the woods.' "'Impossible,' said the innkeeper. Gunter knows the woods round here like the back of my hand. He should have been home hours ago. I fear the coven has taken him as a sacrifice. It's just like Lottie Hartman's daughter Ingrid, said the fat peddler. The innkeeper shot him a dirty look. I want no tales told of our son's betrothed, he said. Let the man speak, said Gotrek. The peddler looked at him gratefully. The same thing happened last year in Blutrock, just down the road. Good wife Hupman looks in on her teenage daughter Ingrid just after sunset. She thought she heard banging coming from her daughter's room. The girl was gone, snatched by who knows what sorcerous powers from her bed in a locked house. The next day the hue and cry went up. We found Ingrid. She was covered in bruises and in a terrible state. He looked at them to make sure he had their attention. You asked her what happened, said Felix. Aye, sir. It seems she had been carried off by demons, wild things of the wood, to the dark stone ring. There the coven waited with evil creatures from the forests. They made to sacrifice her at the altar, but she broke free from her captors and invoked the good name of Sigmar. While they reeled, she fled. They pursued her, but could not overtake her. That was lucky, said Felix dryly. There is no need to mock, Herr Doctor. We made our way to the stones, and we did find all sorts of tracks in the disturbed earth, including those of humans and beasts and cloven-hooved demons. And a yearling infant, gutted like a pig on the altar, "'Cloven-hooved demons?' asked Gotrek. Felix didn't like the look of interest in his eye. The peddler nodded. "'I would not venture up to Darkstone tonight,' said the peddler. "'Not for all the gold in Altdorf.' "'It would be a task fit for a hero,' said Gotrek, looking meanfully at Felix. Felix was shocked. "'Surely you—' cannot mean what bitter task for a troll slayer to face these demons on this sacred night it would be a mighty death it would be a stupid death muttered felix what was it nothing you are coming aren't you asked gotrick menacingly he was rubbing his thumb along the blade of his axe felix noticed it was bleeding again he nodded an oath is an oath. The dwarf slapped him upon the back with such force that he thought his ribs would break. Sometimes, Mendling, I think you must have dwarvish blood in you. Not that any of the Alder Rice would stoop to such a mixed marriage, of course. Of course, said Felix, glaring at his back. Felix fumbled in his pack for his mail shirt. He noticed that the innkeeper and his wife and the peddlers were looking at him. Their eyes held something that looked close to awe. Gotrek sat near the fire, drinking ale and grumbling in Dwarvish. "'You're not really going with him?' whispered the fat peddler. Felix nodded. "'Why?' "'He saved my life. I owe him a debt.' Felix thought it best not to mention the circumstances under which Gotrek had saved him. "'Or pulled the manling out from under the hooves of the Emperor's cavalry!' shouted Gotrek. Felix cursed. The troll-slayer had the hearing of a wild beast as well as the brain of one, he thought, 
continuing to pull on the male shirt. Aye, the menling thought it was clever to put his case to the Emperor with petitions and protest marches. Old Carl friends chose to respond, quite sensibly, with cavalry charges. The peddlers were starting to back away. An insurrectionist, he heard one mutter. Felix felt his face flush. It was yet another cruel and unjust tax. A silver piece for every window indeed. To make it worse, all the fat merchants bricked up their windows and the Altdorf militia went around knocking holes in the sides of poor folks' hovels. We were right to speak out. There's a reward for the capture of insurrectionists, said the peddler. A big reward. Felix stared at him. Of course, the Imperial Cavalry were no match for my companion's axe, he said. Such carnage. Heads, legs, arms everywhere. He stood on a pile of bodies. They called for archers, said Gotrek. We departed down a back alley. Being spitted from afar would have been an unseemly death. The fat peddler looked at his companions, then at Gotrek, then at Felix, then back at his companions. A sensible man keeps out of politics, he said to the man who had talked of rewards. He looked at Felix. No offence, sir. None taken, said Felix. You are absolutely correct. Insurrectionist or no, said the old woman. May Sigmar bless you if you bring my little Gunter back. He is not little, Liza, said the innkeeper. He is a strapping young man. Still, I hope you bring my son back. I am old and I need him to chop the wood and shoe the horses and lift the kegs and... I am touched by your paternal concern, sir, said Felix. He pulled his leather cap down on his head. Gotrek got up and looked at him. He hit his chest with one meaty hand. Armour is for women and girly elves, he said. Perhaps I had best wear it, Gotrek, if I am to return alive with the tale of your deeds as I did, after all, swear to do. You have a point, Manling. Remember that is not all you swore to do. He turned to the innkeeper. How will we find this Dorkstone ring? Felix felt his mouth go dry. He fought to keep his hands from shaking. There is a trail. It runs from the road. I will take you to its start. Good, said Gotrek. This is too good an opportunity to miss. Tonight I will atone for my sins and stand among the iron halls of my father's. Great Grungni willing. He made a peculiar sign over his chest with his clenched right hand. Come, Manling, let us go. Felix picked up his pack. At the doorway, the old woman stopped him and pressed something into his hand. Please, sir, she said. Take this. It is a charm to Sigmar. It will protect you. My little Gunter wears its twin. And much good it's done him, Felix was about to say, but the expression on her face stopped him. It held fear, concern, and perhaps hope. He was touched. I'll do my best, Frau. Outside, the sky was bright with the green witchlight of the moons. Felix opened his hand. In it was a small iron hammer on a fine linked chain. He shrugged and hung it round his neck. Gotrek and the old man were already moving down the road. He had to run to catch up. What do you think these are, Manling? said Gotrek, bending close to the ground. Ahead of them the road continued on towards Blutrock and Bogenhofen. Felix leaned on the league marker. This was the edge of the trail. Felix hoped the innkeeper had returned safely home. Tracks, he said. Going north. Very good, Menling. They are couch tracks, and they take the trail north to the dark stone ring. The black coach, said Felix. 
Oh, I hope so. What a glorious night. All my prayers are answered. A chance to atone and to get revenge on the swine who nearly ran me over. He cackled gleefully, but Felix could see a change in him. He seemed tense, as if suspecting that his hour of destiny were arriving, and he would meet it badly. He seemed unusually talkative. A coach! Does this coven consist of noblemen, Menling? Is your emperor so corrupt? Felix shook his head. I don't know. It may have a noble leader. The members are most likely local folk. They say the taint of chaos runs deep in these out-of-the-way places. Gotrek shook his head, and for the first time ever he looked dismayed. Or could weep for the folly of your people, Menling, to be so corrupted that your rulers could sell themselves over to the powers of darkness. It is a terrible thing. Not all men are so, said Felix angrily. True, some seek easy power or fleshy pleasure, but they are few. Most people keep the faith. Anyway... The elder race are not so pure. I have heard tales of armies of dwarves dedicated to the ruinous powers. Gotrek gave a low, angry growl and spat on the ground. Felix gripped the hilt of his sword tighter. He wondered whether he had pushed the troll slayer too far. You are correct, said Gotrek, his voice soft and cold. We do not lightly talk about such things. We have vowed eternal war against the abominations you mention in their dark masters. As have my own people. We have our witch hunts and our lords. Gotrek shook his head. Your people do not understand. They are soft and decadent and live far from the war. They do not understand the terrible things which gnaw at the roots of the world and seek to undermine us all. Witch hunts, huh? he spat on the ground. Laws! There is only one way to meet the threat of chaos. He brandished his axe meaningfully. They trudged wearily through the forest. Overhead the moons gleamed feverishly. Morselieb had become even brighter till its green glow stained the sky. Fog had gathered, and the terrain they moved through was bleak and wild. Rocks broke through the turf like plague spots breaking through the skin of the world. Sometimes, Felix thought, he could hear great wings pass overhead, but when he looked up he could see only the glow in the sky. The fog distorted and spread, so that it looked as though they walked along the bed of some infernal sea. There was a sense of wrongness about this place, he decided. The air tasted foul, and the hairs on the nape of his neck constantly prickled. Back when he had been a boy in Altdorf, he had sat in his father's house and watched the sky grow black with menacing clouds. Then had come the most monstrous storm in living memory. Now he felt the same sense of anticipation. Mighty forces were gathering close to here, he was certain. He felt like an insect crawling over the body of a giant that could at any moment awake and crush him. Even Gotrek seemed oppressed. He had fallen silent and did not even mumble to himself as he usually did. Now and again he would stop and motion for Felix to stand quiet. Then he would stand and sniff the air. Felix could see that his whole body tensed, as if he strained with every nerve to catch the slightest trace of something. Then they would move on. Felix's muscles all felt tight with tension. He wished he had not come. Surely, he told himself, my obligation to the dwarf does not mean I must face certain death. Perhaps I can slip away in the mist. He gritted his teeth. He prided himself on being an honourable man, and the debt he owed the dwarf was real. 
The dwarf had risked his life to save him. Granted, at the time, he had not known Gotrek was seeking death, courting it as a man courts a desirable lady. It still left him under an obligation. He remembered the riotous, drunken evening in the taverns of the maze, where they had sworn blood-brothership in that curious dwarven rite, and he had agreed to help Gotrek in his quest. Gotrek wished his name remembered, and his deeds recalled. When he had found out that Felix was a poet, he had asked Felix to accompany him. At the time, in the warm glow of beery camaraderie, it had seemed a splendid idea. The Troll Slayer's doomed quest had struck Felix as excellent material for an epic poem, one that would make him famous. Little did I know, he thought, it would lead to this. Hunting for monsters on Geheimnisnacht. He smiled ironically. It was easy to sing of brave deeds in the taverns and play halls, where horror was a thing conjured by the words of skilled craftsmen. Out here, it was different. His bowels felt loose with fear, and the oppressive atmosphere made him want to run screaming. Still, he consoled himself. This is fit subject matter for a poem. If only I live to write it. The woods became deeper and more tangled. The trees took on the aspect of twisted, uncanny beings. Felix felt as if they watched him. He tried to dismiss the thought as fantasy, but the mist and the ghastly moonlight only stimulated his imagination. He felt as if every pool of shadow contained a monster. Felix looked down on the dwarf. Gotrek's face held a mixture of anticipation and fear. Felix had thought him immune to terror, but now he realised it was not so. A ferocious will drove him to seek his doom. Feeling that his own death might be near at hand, Felix asked a question that he had long been afraid to utter. Herr Trollslayer, what was it you did that you must atone for? What crime drives you to so punish yourself? Gotrek looked up to him, then turned his head to gaze off into the night. Felix watched the cable-like muscles of his neck ripple like serpents as he did so. If another man asked me that question, I would slaughter him. I'll make allowances for your youth and ignorance and the friendship rot we have undergone. It would make me a kinslayer. That is a terrible crime. Such crimes we do not talk about. Felix had not realised the dwarf was so attached to him. Gotrek looked up at him as if expecting a response. I understand, said Felix. Do you, Menling? Do you really? The troll slayer's voice was as harsh as stones breaking. Felix smiled ruefully. In that moment he saw the gap that separated man from dwarf. He would never understand their strange taboos, their obsession with oaths and order and pride. He could not see what would drive the Troll Slayer to carry out his self-imposed death sentence. Your people are too harsh with themselves, he said. Yours are too soft, the Troll Slayer replied. They fell into long silence. Both were startled by a quiet, mad laugh. Felix turned, whipping up his blade into the guard position. Gotrek raised his axe. Out of the mist, something shambled. Once it had been a man, Felix decided. The outline was still there. It was as if some mad god held the creature close to a demonic fire, until flesh dripped and ran, that had left it to set in a new and aberrant form. This night we will dance, it said in a high-pitched voice that held no hint of sanity, 
dance and touch. It reached out gently to Felix and stroked his arm. Felix recoiled in horror as fingers like clumps of maggots rose towards his face. This night at the stone wheel dance and touch and rub. It made as if to embrace him. It smiled, showing short, pointed teeth. Felix stood quietly. He felt like a spectator, distanced from the event that was happening. He pulled back and put the point of his sword against the thing's chest. Come no closer, he said. The thing smiled. Its mouth seemed to grow wider. It showed more small, sharp teeth. Its lips rolled back till the bottom half of the face seemed all wet, glistening gum, and the jaw sank lower, like that of a snake. It pushed forwards against the sword till beads of blood glistened on its chest. It gave a gurgling, idiotic laugh. Dance and touch and rub and eat, it said and with inhuman swiftness it writhed around the sword and leapt for Felix. Swift as it was, the troll slayer was swifter. In mid-leap his axe caught its neck. The head rolled into the night. A red fountain gushed. This is not happening, thought Felix. What was that? A demon? asked Gotrek. Felix could hear the excitement in his voice. I think it was once a man, said Felix, one of the tainted ones marked by chaos. They are abandoned at birth. That one spoke your tongue. Sometimes the taint does not show till they are older. Relatives think they are sick and protect them till they make their way to the woods and vanish. Their kin protect such abominations. It happens. We don't talk about it. It is hard to turn your back on people you love, even if they change. The dwarf stared at him disbelievingly and shook his head. Too soft, he said. Too soft. The air was still. Sometimes Felix thought he sensed presences moving in the trees about him and froze nervously, peering into the mists, searching for moving shadows. The encounter with the Tainted One had brought home to him the danger of the situation. He felt within him a great fear and a great anger. Part of the anger was directed at himself for feeling the fear. He was sick and ashamed. He decided that whatever happened, he would not repeat his error, standing like a sheep to be slaughtered. What was it? asked Gotrek. Felix looked at him. Can't you hear it, Menling? Listen. It sounds like chanting. Felix strained to catch the sound, but heard nothing. We are close now. Very close. They pushed on in silence. As they trudged through the mist, Gotrek became even more cautious and left the trail, using the long grass for cover. Felix joined him. Now he could hear the chanting. It sounded as though it was coming from scores of throats. Some of the voices were human. Some were deep and bestial. There were male voices and female voices mingled with the slow beat of a drum, the clash of cymbals, and discordant piping. Felix could make out one word only, repeated over and over till it was driven into his consciousness. The word was slanish. Felix shuddered. Slanish. Dark lord of unspeakable pleasures, it was a name that conjured up the worst depths of depravity, 
It was whispered in the drug dens and vice houses of Altdorf by those so jaded that they sought pleasures beyond human understanding. It was a name associated with corruption and excess and the dark underbelly of imperial society. For those who followed Slanesh, no stimulation was too bizarre, no pleasure forbidden. The mist covers us, whispered Felix. Shh, very quiet. We must get closer. They crept slowly forward. The long, wet grass dragged at Felix's body, and soon he was damp. Ahead he could see beacons burning in the dark, the scent of blazing wood and cloying, sickly-sweet incense filled the air. He looked around, hoping that no latecomer would blunder into them. He felt absurdly exposed. Inch by inch they crawled forward. Dotrek dragged his battle-axe along behind him, and once Felix touched its sharp blade with his fingers, he cut himself and fought back a desire to scream out. They reached the edge of the long grass and found themselves staring at a crude ring of six obscenely shaped stones amid which stood a monolithic slab. The stones glowed greenly with the light of some luminous fungus. On top of each was a brazier which gave off clouds of smoke, beams of pallid green moonlight illuminated a hellish scene. Within the ring danced six humans, masked and garbed in long cloaks. The cloaks were thrown back over one shoulder, revealing naked bodies, male and female. On one hand the revellers wore finger symbols which they clashed, in the other they carried switches of birch with which they lashed the dancer in front. Yagrak tu amat slanish, they cried. Felix could see that some of the bodies were marked by bruises. The dancers seemed to feel no pain. Perhaps it was the narcotic effect of the incense. Around the stone ring lolled figures of horror. The drummer was a huge man with the head of a stag and cloven hooves. Near him sat a piper with the head of a dog and hands with suckered fingers. A large crowd of tainted women and men writhed on the ground nearby. Some of their bodies were subtly distorted. Men who were tall with thin, pin heads, short, fat women with three eyes and three breasts. Others were barely recognisable as once having been human. There were scale-covered man-serpents and wolf-headed furry creatures mingling with things that were all teeth and mouth and other orifices. Felix could barely move. He watched the entire proceeding with mounting fear. The drums beat faster. The rhythmic chanting increased in pace, the piping became even louder and more discordant as the dancers became more frenzied, lashing themselves and their companions till bloody wheels became visible. Then there was a clash of cymbals, and all fell silent. Felix thought he had been spotted, and he froze. The smoke of the incense filled his nostrils and seemed to amplify all his senses. He felt even more remote and disconnected from reality. There was a pain in his side. He was startled to realise that Gotrek had elbowed him in the ribs. He was pointing to something beyond the stone ring. Felix struggled to see what loomed in the mist. Then he realised that it was the black coach. In the sudden, shocking silence, he heard its door swing open. He held his breath and waited to see what would emerge. A figure seemed to take shape out of the mist. It was tall and masked and garbed in layered cloaks of many pastel colours. It moved with calm authority, and in its arms it carried something swaddled in brocade cloth. Felix looked at Gotrek, 
but he was watching the unfolding scene with fanatical intensity. Felix wondered if the dwarf had lost his nerve at this late hour. The newcomer stepped forward into the stone circle. Amak tu, Amak slanesh, it cried, raising its bundle on high. Felix could see that it was a child, though whether living or dead, he could not tell. Egrat tu, Amat slanesh, Tazarkal Tean Amat slanesh, the crowd responded ecstatically. The cloaked man stared out at the surrounding faces and it seemed to Felix that the stranger gazed straight at him with calm brown eyes. He wondered if the coven master knew they were there, and was playing with them. Amak tu slanesh, he called in a clear voice. Amak klesa, amak slanesh, responded the crowd. It was clear to Felix that some evil ritual had begun. As the rite progressed, the coven master moved closer to the altar with slow, ceremonial steps. Felix felt his mouth go dry. He licked his lips. Gotrek watched the events as if hypnotised. The child was placed on the altar, and with a thunderous rumble of drumbeats, the six dancers now each stood beside a pillar, legs astride it, clutching at the stone suggestively. As the ritual progressed, they ground themselves against the pillars with slow, sinuous movements. From within his robes, the master produced a long, wavy-bladed knife. Felix wondered whether the dwarf was going to do something. He could hardly bear to watch. Slowly the knife was raised, high over the cultist's head. Felix forced himself to look. An ominous presence hovered over the scene. Mist and incense seemed to be clotting together and congealing, and within the cloud Felix thought he could make out a grotesque form writhe and begin to materialise. Felix could bear the tension no longer. No! he shouted. He and the troll slayer emerged from the long grass and marched shoulder to shoulder towards the stone ring. At first, the cultists didn't seem to notice them, but then the drumming stopped and the chanting faded and the cult master turned to glare at them, astonished. For a moment, everyone stared. No one seemed to understand what was happening. The cult master pointed the knife at them and screamed, Kill the interlopers! The revellers moved forward in a wave. Felix felt something tug at his leg, and then a sharp pain. When he looked down, he saw a creature, half woman, half serpent, gnawing at his ankle. He kicked out, pulling his leg free, and stabbed down with his sword. A shock passed up his arm as the blade hit bone. He began to run, following in the wake of Gotrek, who was hacking his way towards the altar. The mighty double-bladed axe rose and fell rhythmically and left a trail of red ruin in its path. The cultists seemed drugged and slow to respond, but, horrifyingly, they showed no fear. Men and women, tainted and untainted, threw themselves towards the intruders with no thought for their own lives. Felix hacked and stabbed at anyone who came close. He put his blade under the ribs and into the heart of a dog-faced man who leapt at him. As he tried to tug his blade free, a woman with claws and a man with mucus-covered skin leapt on him. Their weight bore him over, knocking the wind from him. He felt the woman's talons scratch his face as he put his foot under her stomach and kicked her off. Blood rolled down into his eyes from the cuts. The man had fallen badly, but leapt to grab his throat. Felix fumbled for his dagger with his left hand while he caught the man's throat with his right. The man writhed. He was difficult to grip because of his coating of slime. His own hands tightened inexorably on Felix's throat, and he rubbed himself against Felix, 
panting with pleasure. Blackness threatened to overcome the poet. Little silver points flared before his eyes. He felt an overwhelming urge to relax and fall forward into the dark. Somewhere, far off, he heard Gotrek's bellowed war cry. With an effort of will, Felix jerked his dagger clear of its scabbard and plunged it into his assailant's ribs. The creature stiffened and grinned, revealing rows of eel-like teeth. He gave an ecstatic moan even as he died. Slanish, take me, he shrieked. Ah, the pain, the lovely pain. Felix pulled himself to his feet as the clawed woman rose to hers. He lashed out with his boot, connected with her jaw. There was a crunch, and she fell backwards. Felix shook his head to clear the blood from his eyes. The majority of the cultists had concentrated on Gotrek. This had kept Felix alive. The dwarf was trying to hack his way towards the heart of the stone circle. Even as he moved, the press of bodies against him slowed him down. Felix could see that he bled from dozens of small cuts. Still, the ferocious energy of the dwarf was terrible to see. He frothed at the mouth and ranted as he chopped, sending limbs and heads everywhere. He was covered in a filthy matting of gore, but in spite of his sheer ferocity, Felix could tell the fight was going against Gotrek. Even as he watched, a cloaked reveller hit the dwarf with a club, and Gotrek went down under a wave of bodies. So he has met his doom, thought Felix, just as he desired. Beyond the ruck of the melee, the cult master had regained his composure. Once more he began to chant, and raised his dagger on high. The terrible shape that had been forming from the mist seemed, once again, to coalesce. Felix had a premonition that if it took on full substance, then he was doomed. He could not fight his way through the bodies that surrounded the Troll Slayer. For a long moment he watched the curved, bladed knife reflecting the Morsleeve light. Then he drew back his own dagger. Sigmar, guide my hand, he muttered, and threw. The blade flew straight and true to the throat of the high priest, hitting beneath the mask where flesh was exposed. With a gurgle, the cult master toppled backwards. A long whine of frustration filled the air, and the mist seemed to evaporate. The shape within the mist vanished. The cultists looked up in shock. The tainted ones turned to stare at him. Felix found himself confronted by the mad glare of dozens of unfriendly eyes. He stood immobile and very, very afraid. The silence was deathly. Then there was an almighty roar, and Gotrek emerged from amid the pile of bodies, pummeling about him with ham-sized fists. He reached down, and from somewhere picked up his axe. He shortened his grip on the haft, and laid about him with its shaft. Felix scooped up his own sword, and ran in to join him. They fought, until they were back to back. The cultists... Filled with fear at the loss of their leader, began to flee into the night and mist. Soon, Felix and Gotrek stood alone under the shadows of the dark stone ring. Gotrek looked at Felix balefully, blood clotted in his crested hair. In the witchlight, he looked demonic. I am robbed of a mighty death, Menling. He raised his axe menacingly. Felix wondered if he was still berserk and about to chop him down in spite of their binding oath. Gotrek began to move slowly towards him. Then the dwarf grinned. It would seem the gods preserve me for a greater doom yet. He planted his axe hilt first into the ground and began to laugh till the tears ran down his face. Having exhausted his laughter, he turned to the altar and picked up the infant.
It lives, he said. Felix began to inspect the corpses of the cloaked cultists. He unmasked them. The first one was a blonde-haired girl, covered in wheels and bruises. The second was a young man. He had an amulet in the shape of a hammer, hanging mockingly round his neck. I don't think we'll be going back to the inn, Felix said sadly. One local tale tells of an infant found on the steps of the Temple of Shalya in Blutrock. It was wrapped in a bloody cloak of Sudanland wool. A pouch of gold lay nearby, and a steel amulet in the shape of a hammer was round its neck. The priestess swore she saw a black coach thundering away in the dawn light. The natives of Blutrock tell another and darker tale of how Ingrid Hauptmann and Gunther, the innkeeper's son, were slain in some horrible sacrifice to the dark powers. The road wardens who found the corpses up by the dark stone ring agreed it must have been a terrible rite. The bodies looked as if they had been chopped up with an axe. Unlike all the other authors working on the Warhammer fiction of the late 80s, William King was playing Warhammer before he got his gig on the fiction. Indeed, he was working at the studio before the fiction project got underway. Consequently, Geheimnisnacht feels much more like it emerges from the Warhammer fantasy role-playing game rather than just the setting. King had noticed that players were very interested in playing troll slayers, and consequently thought that one would make a good focus for a short story. The story, in its simple format, hear about a problem, decide to fix the problem, go to the problem encountering a small harbinger of the problem on the way, fight the problem, kill the boss of the problem, and round it off with an uncomfortable revelation and a good deed, is essentially the bones of a one-night role-playing scenario. Quite a lot of Call of Cthulhu in there, one would say. The appeal of Troll Slayers to Bill King's group, apart from their stat line, as demonstrated by Gotrek, is, I would argue, that they have character motivations at odds with everyone else around them. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay never went in for complex rules around character motivation, RPGs in the 80s didn't by and large, but it would probably be fair to say that this was a game about trying not to die. It was a game where dying was perilously close at all times, so it is of course very funny to have everybody else in the story strapped to a character who actively sought out death. The joke is pretty funny around the table, and to be honest, it's pretty funny here. King writes the relationship between the two protagonists very well, and, like Yeovil, he gives the Warhammer world a gritty 80s political feel. About six months before these books were published, the poll tax riots had taken place in London, urban unrest against a tax system that disproportionately affected the poor, and it's hard to think that this wasn't on King's mind when hammering out this work, especially as all the talk about Felix being an insurrectionist, inverted commas, chimes with Thatcher claiming that the riot was a result of Marxist agitators. Maybe Margaret Thatcher had been looking at the Warhammer fantasy roleplay character classes that start with A for agitator herself. It is well documented, but I repeat it here, that the story was meant to have Gotrek die, but that King decided at the last moment that actually he might want to write more about this character at a later date. 
And so up he comes with his ham-sized fists, a description I can remember from the first time I read it, and probably some of the most recognisable characters from the Warhammer setting were born. I encourage you to check out the initial portrayals of Gotrek and Felix in the art with this story. I can't talk about what the later stories were like. Apart from the one you can get as an audiobook where they fight an octopus god, I never had much to do with them. But I do know that there was a certain heroic scale miniaturification of the way the two companions were drawn, with Gotrek in particular becoming even more muscled and with an even more intensely quaffed mohawk. The initial depictions of him make him look far more like Vivian from The Young Ones. As fun as the banter between our two protagonists is, I was really struck by how moving and well-rounded the characters and conversations are in this story. I particularly like the way in which Felix watches Gotrek and realises that he is afraid. I feel like this is something that fell away a lot, probably even in the first three stories that we will be looking at, but you get a glimpse into the nature of troll slayer psychology here. Gotrek is a tortured individual, but this gives him the strength to stamp down on the emotions that he is nevertheless genuinely feeling. The way in which he does not want to die, but overrides himself to go forth and seek out death, is very well handled. Even better is the way in which we explore the clashing worldview of dwarf and human. Often, in fantasy settings, it is tempting to see the different character traits of the races as being innate. Dwarves are stubborn and rule-bound because dwarves are like that on some intrinsic level. It's a racial trait. Reading the discussions in this book, however, we get the idea that dwarves are the way they are because of harsh environmental pressures on them. We encounter, as we do elsewhere in these stories, the idea of the tragic and shunned mutant, and Gotrek cannot understand why relatives allow tainted individuals to live. We have the little exchange where Felix says dwarves are too harsh, and Gotrek that humans are too soft. But the really telling lines are these. Gotrek says of humans, Your people are soft and decadent and live far from the war, and war is capitalised there. They do not understand the terrible things which gnaw at the roots of the world and seek to undermine us all. Reading this, I realise that those dwarvish traits, the gap between men and dwarves, as Felix says, is not born out of some slang-given racial attribute, but of their experience of history. The dwarves are a race who have been under attack for so long that it shaped their whole psychology. Kinslaying is a crime. Dishonour requires atonement only through death. But these are cultural constructs that have emerged based on the fact that these strictures are the best thing the dwarves could have created to try and keep themselves alive. At this moment, we are watching a war play out in Europe, and it is a reminder that those in such circumstances have to live in a way that those of us secure and far away from it could never conceive of. There is a lot of talk at the moment in fantasy games, D&D particular, I suppose, about racial traits. And it is really interesting to see a portrayal of difference between the races in the 1980s being born out of culture and history. But also having a degree of ineffability. Because we rely on Felix as our narrator, who is incapable of understanding some of the principles on which Gotrek operates. I also like the final line where we are reminded that the aftermath of Gotrek's solution to the problem of chaos looks remarkably similar to what people might have assumed to have been the work of chaos itself. Make of that what you will. 
The calm before the storm dialogue was masterfully done. King has a very good sense of how realm of chaos mutants and cult corruption should work, and the whole thing finds the right depth for the piece. It's very easy for a story like this to become overshadowed by what the characters went on to become. Gotrek is still rattling round the world of Age of Sigmar, but it should not take away from the fact that this is an excellent piece of the period. I feel compelled to point out, and it might as well be here, that until I came to read this story aloud, I've always read Gotrek as Gortek. The story of an outdoor poet and his waterproof jacket with a death wish is a very different thing. Please feel free to comment on the show in the posts in the Old Hammer or Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay First Edition Facebook groups, or leave a review if you are so inclined. Please tell friends if this is the type of thing that might interest them. You could also follow me on Twitter, where I post at at Lewis Kernow about, well, history, this, this podcast, RPGs, miniatures, and Turnip28. I think it's probably most interesting for us to compare and contrast the three Gort... I almost said it again there. To compare and contrast the three Gotrek and Felix stories in quick succession. So from here, we set off on the trail of the Wolf Riders.